0: So welcome back to a new series of the Drill to Detail podcast and I'm your host Mark Whitman. I'm very pleased to be joined today by someone I knew and worked with around 8 years ago or so. We went our different ways then, but like great minds think alike, find ourselves both running consultancies specialising in the modern data stack. So, welcome to the podcast, Chris Tab, and it's great to have you as our first guest in this new series. um, thank
1: you very much, Mark, and yeah, it doesn't seem—it seems like
0: yesterday we worked on that
1: project, but uh, (laughs) it was quite a long time ago now, wasn't it? Yeah, thanks for the show, and yeah, and I think as you say we the paths, paths of led us into the same direction and uh, both been fo- f- uh, fo- focusing on the, the modern data stack, which uh, uh, is, is a hot topic of mine and something I've got a lot of passion about. And uh, I think you, using our experiences that we've, uh, we leverage from back in the day, you know, before the big data bubble. Um, yeah, I, I think it helps us understand what really is needed and what's required and what the definition of modern data stack really is.
0: Chris, so if anyone doesn't know you, um, so you're pretty you're pretty kind of high profile on on LinkedIn and on various social media sites, and you. But more importantly, you you run a consult co-founder of a consultancy called Elite Data. So just kind of start by just telling everybody what it is you do, okay? Um, and your uh, role you do within uh, within Elite Data.
1: Yeah, so it's um, so I'll, I'll start with who Leak Data is. So a, a relatively new consultancy company come together with. Uh, myself and two other founders that had worked together uh, over that era of the data, data platform, data warehouses and, and uh, you know, data, data clouds now. Um, and well, we came together <clears throat> after a couple of successful Snowflake implementations when we were other side of the fence. Um, thought, well, there's something here and we set this consultancy up. And um, yeah, we've, we've, uh, we focus on the modern data stack. And I think what I also like to say, we focus on business value that's delivered by the modern data stack. Um, so we're very much um, business-focused, technology-supported, or the ways of getting technology to support that. I think rather than some people, yeah, you know, start with the technology and find the use cases afterwards. Um, and yeah, my 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 um, what I do within the company now. So due to the expansion, and you know, we're, we're now working in the US as well as the UK. Um, uh, I now run the CCO function, so I'm the Chief Commercial Officer. Um, I think I did a post about this the other day of what, what I actually do people just see me probably traveling around doing conferences doing these podcasts and taking photos or selfies with some fellow, fellow data community people but <clears throat> I think behind the scenes it's getting to talk and discuss you know, the different trends the different movements in the market you know the different technologies out there what's what's hot what's not. And validating ways that we think and we implement for our clients, constantly optimizing that. And um, I think looking to how we can always work smarter, not harder. And something that um, I use a hashtag: the mean data streets. Um, yeah, the, the, the focus of that is trying to make them less mean. Trying to cut through uh, some of the complications that 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 have, that have, that the the modern data stack has. Um, created on its evolution and trying to look at how you can simplify that and uh, reduce the reduce the time to value um for for our clients and the community that listen to us you know, we're, 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 you know I do quite a lot of LinkedIn posts and and, and you know podcasts like this and it's, I think it's a lot about education um data modeling being just one example of that which uh, I think you know well, the project we worked on back then was very very much focused on. Uh, a very optimized data model that could support uh, w- what was then a very very high, very high volume, uh, high throughput um, payment processing system.
0: So I said, well, I've known you for about eight years now, and I was I was kind of surprised to sort of see that uh, you, to to link what I was seeing on LinkedIn on, on on the activity of your consultancy with the Chris Tab that I knew from before, because because the Chris Tab that I knew from before was a was a uh, a very kind of studious um, uh, data architect. Who was, um, who was central on a project that I was working on and quite a lot of the company I used to work with at the time. Um, as you say, payment processor company, but you were doing a very technical um, and I suppose um, individual contributor type role at the time. Um, so maybe just tell people about what you were doing then, okay, um, as much as you can do, um, and maybe kind of like what led into that first of all. So I think in the past you worked in Cognos and so on. But what was the role you were doing then really? And, and, how did, and I suppose how did that lead to what you're doing now? yeah so I think it, yeah, it's
1: always a bit of a blend of different things but yeah we'll start with that with that payment, payment company where we met so that was I put it at the time for the largest digital transformations that were, that was happening and um, very complex landscape um, very complex architecture um, and many moving parts and yeah the the, the role the role there was, was a very much a, a technical designing hands-on role and and I love that and I think what I've learned what I've learned from that I can no longer do that hands-on, but now I have a team that you know, still feed me that knowledge, which I can still speak confidently about. But share some of the experiences and, and the battle scars and, and mistakes that happen on some when, when you when you embark on some of those sort of projects. Um, yeah, it was very much an Oracle um, Oracle uh, focused implementation, um, uh, you know, for, um, complex billing process. And I think my, my role there was the start off as the data architect, the lead data architect. And then I think I became the chief architect towards the end of it. Um, but working on something that was um, well, I feel I, yeah, it was a really good challenge. Met loads of people, lo- a lot, lot of them, uh, for example, two of those people I met, or three of the people on that project, well, actually four, <laughs> four or five people on that project that, that now work or are involved in, in the company and still, still t- kept in contact with them. Um, but, yeah, you, you mentioned how I got into it. So my journey uh, into data probably wouldn't be seen as the normal routine. Um, I was working in an administration department, uh, for a company called Cognos, and um, I just got involved in working on their products because they had some spaces on the on the training courses. Started using their own data. So my background was to some degree. Even though I didn't finish university. Or go to university was was business, accounts, economics, um, uh, maths. To some degree, I was not that very good at maths. I was okay, better than my English at least. Anyway, um, and um, but I think I had a business business. Lens, but then I could go down to technical, which has allowed me to bounce between those two different roles uh, over my career of um, you know being hands-on as a DBA, as an ETL developer, as a report developer, um, collecting requirements because we had to do that back then, but understanding what the requirements look like, how it feeds into projects looking at they de- de- learn how to de- delivery focus on it so i think every <clears throat> every aspect uh, and, and including that payment companies provided me some good foundational skills and a great network i think you, you're no one without your network and uh, i've got a fantastic network that um you know either uh, help me with my knowledge and things I, I, I able to give advice uh, also keep me real <laughs> as well <laughs> in some of my ideas um, which is always a, a key skill that you you, you, know, you need from a team to, to to call out when something's not possible, um, and yeah. So since that that payment company, I think it just kept. You know, we had that big data um, era. <clears throat> um, yeah, so uh, yeah, big data era. Maybe that leads on to like we're talking about the uh, what I call the evolution piece, really. So. Um, I, I, I yeah, talk about my career and how that how how it's travelled over over the data world over the past thirty years now. You know, I started. When I was yeah, to give my age away, but I started young. Obviously, nineteen. I started in the industry
0: yeah and it's 30 years now so yeah we can do the math um let's let's kind of let's 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 just interject there a little bit just so 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 you're starting mm -hmm. to get into sort of technology right and and this is kind of really where i want to go with you on this kind of conversation right so yeah so you've been you've been doing this you've been doing this thing now for for um probably actually maybe slightly longer than me because i didn't get into it so i was about 25 or whatever but we've both been in this industry for quite a while now okay um and, and we've seen a lot of kind of, I suppose, a lot of trends. We've seen a lot of technologies come and go. Um, and we're both now working in uh, what, we, what is now called the modern data stack space, which is which has got a lot of similarities to what we've done in the past, but it's got things that are different as well. And it's got its challenges and it's got its kind of benefits and so on. So, um, you know, and the project we worked on back in the day, the one we met on, it was, it was, it was, a, it uses ELT. It had kind of like SQL based kind of transformations. It had a big database and so on there. Um and you know, and so there's there's things that haven't changed and things that have really. So let let's kind of let's let's start a little bit with your journey and and and, mm. and I suppose, um, but actually, before we get into what I want to talk about with the modern data stack, you mentioned big data there. Okay, so so something that happened probably between that big project and what we're doing now is that whole world of Hadoop, right? So how did how did you, how did you get involved in that? What was your take on that? Just out of interest. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I think. Well, I'll just do a bit of background
1: on the on the Data Warehouse then go on to that big Data data one. So go through it in that order. So so I refer to the, the, the Data Warehouse era as the beginning. You know, it, I think it was the basic era. So in the early 90s, you know, the Oracle for your database, maybe Informatica for your ETL, Cognos or Business Objects for your BI, you know, three three vendors um, all working, doing what they do best. Um, but it was reserved for the the big players, you know, it was expensive. And, and later on, that that moved into uh, that consolidation era where you've got Oracle having the Exadata ODI that we work with and OBIe. So single vendor, but, you know, three three major components, you know, your, your data storage, your, your ETL and associated things that came with it back then. So it was more like a one-stop orchestration, quality, governance sort of product. Um, and, and then OBIe, which is you know, the, the equivalent of um uh, Your reporting tools like DAP, Tableau and and um, uh, Power BI nowadays, but you know that was the Oracle's offering them, and you know, that that was only reserved for the the big players. It required a lot of planning and and uh, budget to go and secure that. And then, then as you say, yeah, you know, that big data. What what did I make of it? So what what that what I introduced was a um an era where it was open to the masses you know there was many many people could get hold of it it was all commodity hardware but it was very much technology um focused. and i think that that created a bigger gap between the business and technology um, that you know the engineers weren't really connected to what they were doing you know they were using this approach of just sticking it in a data lake so there was no ownership no no idea of how it was going to be used I think the biggest the biggest problem that happened in that is the data modeling. So data modeling just got forgotten. the um, The view of schema on read, and you know, we'll we'll model it later. Um, you know, it, it, it meant that there wasn't as much thought going into how you'd combine this data, not as much thought of how you'd optimize it for its usage, uh, not only from storage but also from from access as well. Um, So so I think that that was a major, major uh, downside of that big data um, era. It it was very hard to tune unless you knew the access path and how it was going to come in. So you tune it for one scenario, then you have to tune for another scenario. and, um, And it was only really good for large volumes of data and not everyone had the sort of volume of data that really warranted, you know, map produce as, as a way of uh, querying it, you know, large, large file sizes where, you know, you're already wanting to get the odd record from it. So it didn't quite, it didn't quite live up to the dream or the, or the, um, um, what it promised. And uh, I, I, you know, it got the, got the data into a bit of a bad name, I think to some degree of, of, you know, lots of failed projects and, uh, I, I joke around. You know the names of these. You, you can go and get a new budget from a, from from the board to go and do another data project because the last one failed. So and that 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 leads and each of them have given us something that if we've learned by it and 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 um, combined the different um, me, uh, different methodologies or approaches or frameworks, you know, it led us to the modern data stack. You know DBT that we we, we mentioned. Um, before you know, that, that approach or that data ops approach wouldn't have existed unless we had influence either from the DevOps or you know the the, the uh, do one where you could check in check out code you could you know you could use your um, CI CD your Jenkins your deployment framework because it was very easy to look at the code changes it wasn't like the tools we referred to before like ODI where it's a separate repository where you're putting all the metadata so to export it out you couldn't look at it visually to say what the differences were and you know whether to accept them or not or if you did you'd have have special knowledge you know it was it was more complex um more complex to to live it or to work in that data ops approach um and you know we, we we've now that's you know with, with the, the templating the ginger templating and, and the, the, the python wrappers and everything there you know that, that that's something that was good that came out of that big data era that that's now being used in the modern data stack um, i think that the modern data stack itself is, is has evolved <clears throat> and i think if someone asked you what the modern data stack was <clears throat> five years ago they would just list five tran dbt snowflake and um maybe maybe um tableau lookup probably actually if you go back five six years ago that would have been the blueprint probably um, you know look at being that first SaaS one out. Snowflake not being the first, but being the sort of like the, the predominant one, and DBT becoming the you know the transformation logic of choice.
0: And most of them would have Airflow. Now, that was probably the, the standard one, but yeah, things have moved on. I think now okay okay so 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 there's a few things in that but what you just said there that's kind of interesting I want to sort of dig into really so yeah so you, you you mentioned about big data there and you talk about sort of I suppose it's more technical approach and so on um so so who did did you find that this type of person that's working on these kind of projects changed a bit when, when big, de, big big data came along and that and that that in itself led to a lot of this talk around CICD and so on so first of all you know has the persona of the practitioner changed over time do you think 100 percent, and, and uh, i think that that term data engineer
1: got born you know from during that period before there were etl developers and um I, I, I speak to joe reese a lot you know the, the author of the fundamentals of, of um data engineering and um I, I got to read it and help review it as, as he was writing it so i think that that um um that that role and has has evolved during that period, and even fragmented to to some degree because, you know, we, we used to have an ETL developer that used to build a pipeline, but then with all of that, you know, CI/CD, you, know, you needed more of a DevOps person. So the the skill set required, and I think this is, this is how I end up joint getting getting more into this this um, LinkedIn and and doing these podcasts. I think is. Yeah, I was commenting on the skills needed to be a data engineer. And, you know, the list was like 20, 30 different technologies. And there's no way of one person having that. That's a unicorn. So, yeah, it did influence a new skill set into it. I think this is where um, there's, there's a team now, and especially a little while ago, had to have so many different complementary skills now to achieve that creation of the data pipeline from source right the way through to a modern layer. So um that, you know, that's that was dict well, that was caused by the number of different technologies around there, as well as it becoming more of an engineering sort of de- data de- um uh, developer sort of um skill set needed. Uh, less GUIs were involved, you know, the you know, with the products we were talking about earlier, all you know, all were very much GUI led.
0: Okay. So, so, so I suppose the logical. So one of the, one of the things that I noticed you getting involved in on, on, on LinkedIn and other forums is, is the debate around is the modern data stack dead? Okay. Um, Mm. so maybe just start off by just explaining what is this kind of, I suppose, meme or kind of, I suppose, trend or, or or thought going around to say this thing that, you know, we call the modern data stack. It's, it's dead. Why, why is it dead and why people are saying it's dead? First of all.
1: Yeah. So I, I think the first thing is, you try and ask people to define what the modern data stack is. And I, I did this, and this is what I challenged a lot of people out there. It was very hard. or We got very mixed views of what it was. So some answer would go straight down to technology and just list the technologies. Uh, yeah, and others others would say, that the, the, the uh, quoting the reason for it, because it didn't have data modeling in it, or it didn't have lineage. In it. And each, each of these reasons or rationale that I saw for saying the modern data stack was dead, let it, me it's it, it's not dead it's just not been done correctly you know we haven't looked at some of the best practice and problems we've already solved in the past and you know, what, why haven't they why haven't they just been implemented correctly and I put this down to the the um bubble or the the very high increase in engineers that entered into this industry but they entered into it in the big data world and they entered into that and then they moved into the modern data stack. So, a lot of that best practice and knowledge that we had prior to that was you know reserved to a smaller amount and most of those people may be architects now i, mean, I, I refer to another a, a recovering architect nowadays <laughs> um based on you know, uh, you know, the you know, recovering data scientist is what what Joe refers to himself as um it, so it it's it's that lack of um, knowledge or 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 um, best advice that will that was not being given to the people that are using modern data stack, um, that's caused this issue. So uh, people started coining the post modern data stack. I mean, <clears throat> just because we've run out, and 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 that I, I said just because you know your, your first mod, your first implementation modern data stack was didn't go well. You know, don't go and call it a post modern data stack. To, give it a new name, maybe call it modern data stack 2.0. I I even joked, say maybe modern data stack 10.3 patch
0: two. It was a good Oracle version, you know. Um, But what about the argument which some people are making, which I think has got some value to it, saying that um, with, I suppose the move towards analytics engineering and the modern data stack, you're accumulating a lot of human capital costs and all the sort of things that, you know, in a way we went through in the past where we moved away from say scripting DBA scripts or database scripts. And we moved to say, Graphical tools with repositories, you know, um, and and so on. Do you think there is a valid argument to say that we're accumulating a lot of human capital costs in this that people aren't necessarily aware of until it becomes a cost?
1: Yes, I do. I think I think there is there is some truth in that. And uh, I think I refer to something as the meta metadata, and yeah. um, I think that automation and working smarter uh, lens. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you think of <clears throat> If you think of all of the data as it gets created, when you have a system Mm. or something designed, they know the attribution of that data. They know the business usage of it. If, say, for example, Mm. and going back to that project as well, you had all the business services mapped out, you know, from from high-level right to the L5 business services, Mm. level five. So you actually know what attribute is uh, is linked to each business service, how that attribute is stored. And then that metadata in the old days Mm. is you know, that data will be available, it will be CDC'd somewhere, and then the data team will go and redo it all over again. You know, they go and define mm. that all, and um, <clears throat> it, I've never seen a project where all that metadata that once it's been collected <clears throat> or defined at its creation or its inception has actually mm. followed through. So mm. I, I think the, what's, what I do like, think is happening, and I think this is a good thing, is the, the world of operations, and the world of analytics is coming closer together. Um, you know, products Snowflake having the Uni store meaning you can have uh, maybe not replace OLTP totally, but you can have more apps mm. running there. The teams working much closer together. Uh, I think if we can have use knowledge graph information to collect all the metadata that then can be transferred down to create DDL, but also create business services, or also mm. then go and follow through into how it's stored in the analytics to to help catalog it, define the ownership. Um the more the more we can do with automation and with um metadata driven approaches, uh and reuse of metadata, metadata management, um, uh. I think the less we'll need that manual effort or or um cost associated to it. I mean you can go on the FinOps aspect of it as well. You know, how mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. um how you can do cost optimization based or recharging based on business uh, business usage or um, you know, domain usage of your data, you know, supporting mm. data products, data mesh uh, approaches where you know, you know who's using it, there's good contracts in, in place. <clears throat> um you, you're reducing that cost of ownership uh and you're sharing the cost based on the usage and consumption
0: okay okay interesting you mentioned about about um about cost there cost attribution and, and so on there was i think on twitter today there was a there was you might, you might not have seen it but there was a post i think from from high touch talking about using their tool their reverse etl tool to help with the, the usage-based billing for SaaS companies and it was, I think Lauren was was commented on Twitter about it and sort of said the worst possible thing you can do is use your a reverse ETL tool to do your customer billing. Yep. So what's your take on, yep. I suppose, activating data and the use of, say, reverse ETL tools for that kind of... Oh, role?
1: I mean, this is, this is another favorite topic of mine. And, and actually, I did a post actually while I was with Lauren in um, New York last year about ETL in, ETL out. Um, so... So maybe I'll just touch before I t- touch before I go into my view on reverse ETL. Let's just talk about the use case of of going from that billing, and you think of things like SOX compliance and lineage and uh, accountship and ownership. So you know what gets gone, what goes into your billing system is um, yeah, it needs to be done by an accountant. It needs to have some level of controls over it. It needs lineage to understand where that data has come from. And it needs that whole end to end pipeline supported if it's a production system or, or with production controls. So, unless you can um, guarantee or provide lineage or provide that end to end assurance and security controls around that, who's going to stop maybe some data engineer going ingesting another accountancy process and quite easily um, um, creating fraud internally or? unintentionally uh, you know posting the wrong information. And anything anything that touches your accountancy system, um, it needs to have a level of governance controls around it. And this is where I'll, I'll go on to my view of reverse ETL tools. So if we go back to our day back in the day, if I asked for Informatica to bring the data in and I asked for data stage to take the data out and I asked to go and buy two licenses for it, do you think I would have got the budget? Do you think I'd still be in this job now? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I mean, it, it, it's two two separate. No. They and and this. I think this has happened where you know the modern data stacks evolved, and the likes of high touch and sensors they've been they've they've come into the market because um, you know, we we've created now business processes on top of our modern data stack, and we've used Fivetran or something to bring it in, and five trend doesn't put the data back out, so. That, that I think if you step back and if you were to design a product now, you'd look at something that did both and maybe provided that more of a governance controls, maybe provide that lineage, maybe provide a different security controls. saying this is a uh, uh, a production production class pipeline that needs support needs monitoring on it, it has different different security controls around it, different governance associated with it. So I did a my, my post was a joke. at hand, you know a picture of a, a two Aston Martins, you know ETL in ETL out. You know when you need to buy, we need an excuse to buy two products. So, so there are there are products that can you know that can provide that end to end one, the um, rivered one that we work with. I'm not a, not a plug, but there's others as well. Um, so yeah, that simplification of modern data stack. You know I I'd look at you know, what can provide that whole end to end capability and be very very careful if you're going to be using it. Um, um, to 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 post post um legend post um uh, accounts information, and Lauren would have had a very different approach of of tackling that that answer. I believe me. <laughs>
0: Okay, so 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 we, you know, the risk of sounding like a couple of old farts saying that everything everything now is new is awful and and so on. I mean, what? You, so you you've got a consultancy that specialises in the modern data stack, and you're you, you know you were like I think you were Snowflake Partner of the Year last year and, and all that. So That's so right, what, yeah. does it, what does it what does a what does a data stack look like that you your company builds and and what products um, do you particularly think are good in the market at the moment? Then in, in that sort of in the area we've been talking about. Yeah,
1: so I'll go back to that whole simplification piece as well. So a 5 trends great is great as an ingest, and it's been the market leader for ages, but you still need an orchestration tool with it as well. Um, so if I was to break down what I think the modern data stack components are, and, and so you need ingest, you need orchestration, you need the ability for transformation, you need storage and compute, you need some data modeling and data contracts capability. Um, observability i'll touch on that in a minute <laughs> but a data ops framework as well and maybe you might need some reverse etl you'll definitely need some visualization definitely some machine learning capability so if i was to map that to what i think of the um the players uh, snowflake well, i'll go start with them snowflake for storage and compute I think it's it's the de facto one. It's the only real challenger to it, I'd say, is BigQuery and then certain use cases. So um, as a de facto, I, I'd always, I'd still think that they've got the competitive edge. I think their roadmap with Snowpark is 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 great. Um, yeah, we've done very well with them and and we, we like working on, the, on that. Um, if I talk about um, the next one, which would be, you, know, you ingest your orchestration and optional reverse ETL and that would be rivery um rivery um provides that single SaaS uh, etl product um the underlying architecture i know know personally that it, it it's you know built state of the state of the art on kubernetes sort of like modern architecture from a, a development perspective and it does that orchestration for you you know it, it does that reverse etl if you need it You know, it has a lot of uh, metadata-driven components, which if I went back before and I had to build that self, it's complicated unless you do it properly. And I know that, you know, uh, getting someone like yourself in as well, you you know that we designed well, but a lot of time we get in and the horse is bolted. Um, So having that ingest, orchestration, reverse ETL, um, with transformation that you can pull out the DBT or you can run your own scripts from it, I mean, that, that would be what I'd choose there. I think another cool player in that market is Coalesce. So Coalesce, I've been seeing them quite a while. I've seen recently it's more of a, well, it, it's very much a DBT um, replacement or or a, a alternative, should I say. Um, it has that GUI, so you drag and drop uh, approach um, to building your data pipelines. Um, uh, and, yeah, it provides, go back to that lineage piece anyway, it provides a lot of that lineage and, some of the complexity with very large-scale DBT projects, and you know, maybe some of the in um, some of the inefficiencies they they may they may in, in, introduce because of the, many data engineers work at the same time, maybe not with a common data model. Um, yeah, I think having something like that helps encourage that data modeling approach. Um, I I'd, I'd suggest SQL DBM would be my go-to choice for doing data modeling now. Um, yeah, ha- having that that model be deployed and then you build pipelines that match onto it um visualization i think the, the thought spot would be my
0: go-to really? one and why, why, why is that yeah why
1: is that? why is that so yeah let me share on my view of that one so and we'll, we'll give the other players as well so i'll, I'll give the you know the, the other ones that i think are in there as well so looker you know was, was one of the leaders i think right at the beginning its acquisition by google has made it more of a google focused and the licensing model of that, its come a little bit more expensive, but yeah, you know, it's still a good product. Um, Tableau, I, I think that, that life cycle of developing Tableau dashboards, when you need to have Tableau developers, that time to market, time to value, time to getting the users in touch with the report, took a, you know, took a bit of time. Power BI, you know, it's great from, um, you know, if you're already on Microsoft shop, it, you know, it did the job, but You still need those developers and, they seem to encourage you just downloading it to Excel to go and do pivot tables and things like that as well. So that that that's not what, what um you know, I, I think is the best use of all that data after it's been processed and modelled. So what so ThoughtSpot, and you know there, there's others out there as well, um but um ThoughtSpot it's that self-service capability I think. It's that if you've got it modelled, it's some very good star schemas and you've built some um, you know, the metadata on top of it, which uh, it understands the context of data, you can then pre- prevent the need for having, you know, an army or loads of de- um, d- dashboards being developed and not knowing who they're being used by um, and give it to, to uh, clients or maybe not as tech savvy people to actually Explore that data find insight they wouldn't have found easy. And I think what a dashboard does when you build it, you give it to someone. They say, "Oh, yeah, but what about this now?" And they go off and have to go and make an alter, uh, alteration to it. If you, if the tool allows that person to ask that second question and that third question without the need to involve tech again, that's what. That's why I like it. And I, I suppose from a consultancy sort of you know um, uh, perspective. You'd think that's a bit of an anti pattern because you know, we want to put people on develop it. So we do help with ThoughtSpot, we help with in that initial setup, but it, it's you know, it doesn't require that long term consultancy assistance from us. Um whereas, you know, if 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 it was maintaining tableau dashboards and things like that, yeah, you know, we'd probably more repeat work. But um yes, yeah, so that, that's that's my reason rationale for that one.
0: Okay, so so what do you what's your take on uh, on I suppose headless BI and metrics layers and so on because yeah you know, that that separation I mean in some respects it's nothing new having a, the, the idea of a semantic model know. Yeah. but yep. the other bit I suppose is is what. Who, who, who within the organization would, would kind of set that up and maintain it? And what does it mean about the kind of workflow? And what does it mean about also about how the, maybe the industry might get reconfigured around different ecosystems yeah. and so on? So what's your take on metrics, layers, and semantic models? And I suppose the elephant in the room being the DBT Labs one.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you go back and again, that, that semantic there is nothing new. Uh, if I go back to my days on Cognos, uh, you know, you, you had the, the metadata there, they are the catalogs, as they refer to them as, you know, business object had its universe. <clears throat> so um, I think the key thing is centralization of business logic. And, you know, things like Data Vault methodologies, which I know, you know you're, you're, you're very much uh, in with as well, um, having that centralized, Uh, business logic there whether the the rules are are um consolidated managed governed um reused is is essential um whether you do that or or i think it's defining the number of the rules where they go and the more that more reuse the more i'd like to have them pre-built in the database um the if you have some sort of complex um imp- different teams using different products maybe some things could be centralized in maybe your ThoughtSpot model or your um maybe you're using microstrategy or something so you, you may have some some logic put, put in that but the the key to getting one source of the truth and making sure everyone is, is reporting the same way is making sure those business rules are in one location so um, whether you use whether you use DBT's semantic layer, I don't think it's anything different than having a well modeled, well managed something built yourself that is in modeling Data Vault or you know, a similar approach. As long as it's uh, uh, structured in a way that uh, allows that that business logic to be put in one place and managed, I think that that's the end goal. What, what how you how you achieve that? I'm less I'm less concerned on.
0: Moving on a little bit from, I suppose, products and so on. Um, you, you've mentioned a few things around data modeling there. You've mentioned about, I think you mentioned data contracts earlier on and so on. And mm. you've also just mentioned about centralization of logic. Okay. So probably one of the, one of the sort of the, again, one of the trends or, or or things that are interesting in the industry at the moment is around the idea of data contracts and data meshes and so on, right? So, and and what's your take on that? And what's your take around, what's your take on, I suppose, the idea of there being a central kind of warehouse with all the logic in there and I suppose centralised versus decentralised. What do you find works in practice over the years? Okay. Um, so I'll start to touch on data contracts first of all. Um
1: So it, anyone from a development background, so it could be your API contract. So it, it's a, um, a metadata structure or structure that's defined with metadata that's used to transfer data between one location and another. Um and a standardized format. So, you know, for example, if we went back to the old world of ISO codes, you know, ISO codes provide structure and they provide consistency on how we do currency codes or country codes. And then you can move on to more with like payment contracts. You know, a payment contract was an ISO eighty-five eighty-three that had all the attributes needed for you to make a, a a credit card payment or a direct debit payment. No, sorry, a debit card payment. So, data contracts. Have been around in the application world for, for many many years. Um, I think why they're be- why they're becoming more prominent in the in the data world now is uh, we've got these data product we've got a data product concept we've got um, data mesh as a, as a concept or a methodology, and what that provide what that needs now is also oh, what what that requires is a ability to be able to um, exchange information in a consistent way that people can build on top of. So um where where that where that works between the um um the the, the, the in the data product world I'm sorry that centralized decentralized approach so and we talked about business rules as well later and i think maybe touching on the role of the analytics engineer as well um you know a, a, a subset of a data engineer so what companies or larger companies should provide is domain uh, domain-based um, um, structures that can be subscribed to by multiple data products, and they would be subscribed to by those multiple data products by using data contracts. Those data contracts would be—I uh, I think when we when we did that, I called them data access layers and data input layers, which are dills and daws. So it, it's a way of you exchanging information between different parts of your data platform in the same way you would with an API contract. Um, so what, why are they so important? I think without having that defined and the governance around it or all the, the guardrails I like to refer to it as, um, yeah, you, your, your data products or your data mesh um, um, uh, platform approach will have fixed dependencies on on things that you'd have no control over. So unless these contracts you've got a, they said they're they're available. So for um, you know and supported, and any changes will be communicated, or, or you know, any new new attributes will be added in a controlled manner. You, know, you you're building on top of sand, <laughs> or building on top of things that um, could could cause your project to fail later, and you have a complex um, you know, monolithic application again, really.
0: Okay, so so imagine so let's put this in, into into sort of practical things. Imagine your you, your company being brought into to architect and, and build a a kind of an analytics layer for a reasonable sized I don't know sort of Series C Series D kind of company, um, and you're talking about a warehouse architecture. Okay, do, do you do you tend to sort of recommend? What we might consider to be a traditional kind of Kimball-style warehouse, or do you talk about things like data meshes? What's the what's the kind of starting point really from a for a design that you would kind of like put your name behind? Really,
1: yeah, I mean, we uh, it, it's it's always a bit of a hybrid. There's no one size fits all, and uh, I think the uh, there's a few characteristics that I'd use um, the stability of the source systems. So. For large large transformation or maybe a, a company that uh, has gone through many acquisitions, they may have multiple c r m systems you know may maybe another acquisition comes on later. I'd very much go down the route of a data vault approach for that one to to insulate them from those and um, yeah and build some solid foundations that that you'll be able to react quick later if there were any changes and which are also planned changes and it's very hard to work in those environments to do you know legacy testing and new world testing in the same place unless you use that approach so that would be one one approach i always am very much in favor of a kimball kimball insight layer you know or information layer presentation layer um it works very well for things like Thoughts well for doing dimensions and facts and having it you know, having it modeled in a way that uh, i think how we how we think and operate you know we think in measures we think in dimensions we think in hierarchy so um, for human interaction analysis, I, I'd always have that as the the end product presentation layer. But then on the flip side, if it's being used to do machine learning, I might do a feature model. So you know you'd go that route for that. But the key thing to any of these approaches is to have some structure and not just have one big data lake dumping everything in there. So if if you don't go full data vault, but just at least have some clear Either separation of the schemas that goes, what's your what's your customer information, your CO information? So, so I always bring in the data based on the source system it come from. So you have that clear separation. And then there's that middle layer that, um, you know, you, you'd, you'd mix and match depending on the environment. You may go data vault. You may go, um, I'm not going to go for that's an Inman-esque style if he has the simplest building. Uh, uh, structure um, and but then predominantly a kimball kimball um style uh, dimensional facts as a, as a presentation with you know sourcing that same data in a different structure but in a consistent way and that's where that business rule aspect comes into it because if you have gone to a situation where you've got multiple different ways that data is being presented you want them both to be able to use the same business rules so that's why i'd always introduce a common layer which may be what you refer to the semantic or business rules layer that any of them can subscribe to and also if you make the changes make to it can be replayed easily so you can go and replay and recorrect or or uh, adjust any historical information very easily that that, um, that would be complex if you didn't have that
0: okay okay so just to kind of round things off really I mean so so you're you're a consultant I'm a consultant okay and one of the things that um really surprised me when I when I I got back into this world after a little kind of uh, a couple of years I took out was was going to a a Looker conference and explaining that we were a Looker partner at the time and we were consultants and people not knowing what on earth we were talking about or why on earth why they want to hire us in um and so to you, Chris. Where, where do you see the value in a consultancy um, these days for, for people implementing these kind of uh, projects, and you know, and where where does the given that given that most companies we speak to really ideally want to hire their own data team, where does the consultant come in, and what unique value do we bring into it? Do you think?
1: So I think there's there's two uh, probably it's which stage. So let's, let's start right at the beginning, and you may have um, you know may have your own team. Um, but bringing in someone that's done this uh, together as a collective team in, in many locations before the the acceleration you can get and preventing you going down any rabbit holes or um, areas that you may not have foreseen without you know, without out seeing it done properly in many many places and also you know it's what's best practice now um so getting the right foundations in and the right level of foundations at the right time and a roadmap to get to where you can have that competitive advantage against anyone in your in your area Um, building your own team full-time is quite expensive so i think what, Mm. what we've we seem to do now is we have the right amount of skill at the right level so we have our principals we've got our seniors we've got our engineers we've got our juniors you don't need to have a principal the whole time for our whole project. You have them right up the front, and then after that, you use the right level at the right price. And we could be cost-effective, I think, uh, as an alternative route to you know to having a very large bloated team with multiple multiple skills because you've got a very complex architecture. Um, you know, we, we we people like us can come in and show where that simplification can happen, where you can actually save costs from an operational cost from a simplification of a delivery. Um, I refer to something as delivery friction. So we look at all the Mm. different components of delivering a a, a data pipeline and you know how can we simplify that you know and sometimes it's a people process and way of working or frameworks or templates or metadata driven approaches so Mm. uh, not not saying that everyone in there those people have a job and their job is dependent on their work uh my Mm. mission or role in my in, in a company is to work smarter not harder more efficiently quicker time to value maybe you don't need the same size teams you got now, but maybe your team won't always be the first ones to admit that.
0: (laughs) What do you you think about, what do you think about, um, there's, there's there's project products out there, like say portable or Mozart data that, that are kind of, I suppose modern data stack in a box, right? So do you have any exposure experience to those at all? And, 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 is that an alternative, or, or where do you see that fitting in? Is it different, maybe different stage of maturity? What, what's your thoughts on those products?
1: Um, so portable, I, I know Ethan very well. Um, yeah, um, I'm going to his meet up next week. Um, so portable, I'd say is that he refers to the Longhorn adapters. So they're they're not your common. So <clears throat> you know you, you, they're not your uh, your large sales force and think well maybe they do that, but they're not not the big the big ERPs and like that. So um, yeah, I think it's baked down to a use case, and, and I think it, it does work. That simplification, and it's it's what you need at the size, the, the the maturity of a company, in the level you're at. What what level of complexity you need? We go back to that modern data stack. So, what's modern for one is you know, maybe not modern to someone else. If you like to Coca-Cola or Pepsi. You know the modern data stack is going to be a, some severe, you know, machine learning um, algorithm that can run against all sorts of things. need like optimization on production line information. So not everyone needs that level. If you're a two man band, a spreadsheet might be your modern data stack. <laughs> so it's it's working out um, of the of the skills skills of the team you've got, of the budget you've got, and of your of the complexity of your environment and your requirements, what's right for you. And that goes back down to well, me and you being both technologists that have moved into running consultancy companies you know i think both of us have that we say what's right for the client and less you know with less pushing the pushing of a, a vendor driven solution it's a business value driven solution that is supported by what we think are the best vendors
0: okay okay so just to round things up then how do people find out more about your company um and uh, maybe get in touch with you
1: yeah, so um, you'll find me, I'm quite predominant on LinkedIn. So, um, <laughs> there's not many Chris tabs. So if you look for Chris tab, uh, you'll, you'll find me. Uh, I use the hashtag Mean Data Streets. I've got a couple, of, a couple of the ones I use is Bring Back Data Modeling. But I've had to spell it in two ways because Americans have got one L, we've got two. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, and our company's uh, www.leet-data.com. So you can check out our website. We are on Twitter as well. and I think we're also on a – I'm not too sure I have to check them all the other outlets as well, but they're the main <laughs> ones. So. Uh, oh, YouTube on the, as well. Um, but you'll find me on quite a few podcasts, yes. So if you Google hashtag Mean Data Streets, you'll, you'll find a lot of my content
0: fantastic well chris it's been fantastic speaking to you thank you very much for uh for, for sharing your thoughts on 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 the industry and where we are now um good luck with uh with the company not too good luck because obviously there's uh there's us as well in the market but uh but certainly uh, you're a good guy and you know what you're talking about exactly exactly well.
1: yeah. exactly
0: but, but well done though and you've done the company's done really well so best of luck and uh, thank you very much thank you very much Mark. thanks for having on